Do 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 Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the highlight of human civilization, CWSA as we call it. If you would like this experience to go to levels that you can't even imagine, all you need is, yeah, you know, a cup or a mug or a glass, tank of chalice or stein, a canteen, jug or flask, a vessel of any kind, fill it with your favorite liquid. I like coffee. And join me now for the unparalleled pleasure, the dopamine hit of the day, the thing that didn't make, that makes everything better. It's called the simultaneous sip, and it happens now. Go. Oh, pretty good. So if you don't mind, I thought I would solve most of the world's problems today. Um, I don't know if I can get to all of them. Uh, I've got quite, a, quite an agenda. But I will try to uh, I will try to get to uh, you know, most of the world problems and then solve them. Um, yesterday, did anybody notice? Uh, was it the day of rage? Everybody got through the day of rage pretty well. Uh, or some call it the day of jihad, the day of jihad, or as one wag called it. Low energy jihad. It felt it felt a little bit low energy, didn't it? You know what I'm starting to think. I'm starting to think that the Palestinians are not as popular as I once thought. Apparently, they're only popular in American colleges. They are not popular in their own part of the world because Egypt won't let them across the border, and their neighbors don't want any more of them. So maybe maybe it's something they're doing that makes them unpopular. Um, but we will make it a distinction between the Palestinians and Hamas. Because you know what the, uh, the real war is? Sure, there's a horrendous war happening in Gaza physically. But the real war, oh, the real one for all of us uh, online soldiers is to try to avoid saying something that some fucking idiot will misinterpret. Am I right? My entire day, I wake up and say, how can I avoid being misinterpreted by a fucking idiot like Sean Hannity? Who's a fucking idiot? I hate to tell you. I kind of like his skill set. He has a lot of skills. But we'll talk about him and Vivek. Yeah. No, the, the whole goal today is for somebody not to act like you were not sensitive enough to the suffering of this group, or you you didn't understand that Hamas and Palestinians are different. Yeah, everybody understands it, but you're gonna look for any little any little slip up, aren't you? Aren't you? Not you, but you know what I mean. All right, well, uh, I'm going to start with the biggest story of the day. Uh, AOC did a video in which allegedly uh, she has heard farting during the middle of her talk. Now, if I were being an honest broker of information, I would tell you that that is almost certainly fake news. But I'm not here for that today. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat it like it's real. The, the funniest thing, you say to yourself, 
as I did. Scott, there's no way this could be funny. It's just Eric Swalwell times, you know, you know updated. Uh, it's not real anyway, so what's funny about it? It's just, you know, childlike. And then somebody put together what they claim to be a, a heat, <laughs> some kind of a heat map, <laughs> or infrared, a thermal, yeah, like a, a thermal map of her talking. And then you see the, the cloud coming out from the <laughs> To which I say, sure, maybe you think this is a fake news story, but I say to you, follow the science. Follow the science. Because that thermal map of AOC farting was no more and no less useful than climate models. Very similar. Same, same kind of zip code. Yeah. You should either believe them both or believe neither of them. That's my advice. Well, let's move on to the next most important news of the day. On uh, a TV show called The View, which amazingly is still on TV. And amazingly, there's still a thing called TV. Uh, the host, Sonny Hostin, and I think it's funny because she's a host and her last name is Hostin. <laughs> Come on. And her name is Sonny. She has the worst personality in the world, but her first name is Sonny. Hey, let's do some Sonny Hostin. Except I'm going to call you all racist. Not so Sonny now. But here's what Sonny Hostin said. Quote, I think we all know Hamas has been designated a terror organization, just like many other terror organizations have this designation, like the Proud Boys here in the United States. Wait, what? Proud Boys are not a terror organization. Nobody has ever designated the Proud Boys as a terror organization. Now, could I be even more graphic? May I have permission to be obscenely graphic? Let me explain to you, Sonny Hostin, who the Proud Boys are. The Proud Boys, number one, are not people who have done everything the way I wish people who do things. Can we, can we stipulate? I do not agree with the actions of all the Proud Boys. Let me say that up front. Number two, if Hamas ever attacked the United States, the Proud Boys would be the ones who stopped them from raping you. The Proud Boys would be the ones who are standing in front of you and between you and the terrorists. The Proud Boys are the ones who are going to get ripped apart physically to try to give you 10 minutes more to escape. The Proud Boys are going to be saving your fucking life if trouble ever comes. Now, I'd like to add to this an observation which I don't know is valid or just sexist. So you can tell me, is this valid, like just an observation, or am I being super sexist? I'm just going to say it directly. Nobody cares what women think of war. Yes or no? Nobody cares. Now, I've been looking at all the commentary about you know the situation in Gaza, and it kind of follows after Ukraine, of course. Ukraine's still active. And 
you see lots of opinions. I mean, both men and women weigh in all the time. But the nature of the opinions is different. When women are talking about war, it often falls into the category of, you know, the victims. Um, when they talk about uh, Israel, they talk about the victims. When they talk about Gaza, they talk about the civilians. And, yeah, but mostly they're talking about the cost of war. And that's good. There's good, good that somebody's talking about the cost of war. But we also knew what the cost of war was. When men talk about war, they talk about whether you should do it or not. And they also talk about how. Like a typical male conversation would be, how are you going to clean out all those underground bunkers? Can you get that done with the thermo, thermobaric uh, munitions? Or uh, by now do we have a whole bunch of uh, tunnel robots and we'll just send the robots down there? Or does it just make more sense to bulldoze them? Just leave them down there. So that's how men talk about war. And the question I have is, um, did war just clarify gender roles? Is that what happened? When, when you don't have the luxury of just talking bullshit, everybody just knows what to do, right? If the shit goes down, the men step forward and the women step back, and that's the way it's always been. And probably will always be. Now, no disrespect meant to the many women who serve in armed forces. Because, you know, we respect their services completely. It's a different situation. Anything I say that's sort of generic doesn't apply to all of you, right? Anything I say about men doesn't apply to all men. Anything I say about women doesn't apply to all women. Sort of a general, general theme sort of situation, though. So... Um, I just find it very interesting that uh, we've automatically gone to gender roles and nobody complains when life and death are on the line. As uh, a way of making you serious, doesn't it? All right, let's talk about the shameless liars. So Jonathan Torley was tweeting that uh, Leon Panetta, uh, I guess yesterday he told uh, Brett Baer over at Fox, Leon said that he has not seen uh, evidence establishing that he and others were wrong about calling the Hunter laptop Russian disinformation. That's right. It's October 2023, and one of the signers of the famous uh, Hunter laptop disinformation letter, you know, all the past and uh, current uh, intelligence experts, Leon Panetta being one of them, still to this day, says that he can't rule out uh, that it wasn't uh, Russian disinformation. Now, what does that tell you about the world? I don't know if it's telling you much about Leon Panetta, but it's definitely telling you something about the world. You know what it's telling you? That he knows the news is fake, and he knows that no Democrat will ever see anything he ever said to Fox's Brett Baer. So he can tell... He can tell the, the right side of the world anything. And the left will never know what happened. And the right will just yell what they always do. You stinking lying Democrat. But nothing changes. There's no cost to it. He can, he can just, so rather than embarrassing himself in front of the enemy, you know, the, the viewers of Fox News, 
He just says anything he wants because it doesn't make any difference. <laughs> it doesn't make any difference what he says. What a world. Shameless liars. Are you all familiar with the All In podcast? All In, David Sachs, uh, and the others whose names are harder to pronounce or harder to remember. And it's uh, several basically super rich venture capital uh, tech guys who have a uh, podcast that makes a big splash in the podcast world. So they, they've really carved down a little space in the political um, sphere. So when they say things, they often get quoted, etc. They, they have a little bit larger impact than most because I'm not sure, but I think everyone on the podcast is probably literally a genius. You know, if they took an IQ test, you wouldn't want to compete against them sort of thing. So they do have a big uh, impact. And uh, the big surprise from the recent one that just dropped is that they seem to agree that Trump did a good job and that he was totally underrated. And at the time, they couldn't see it. But in the fullness of time, it is now obvious that although at least one of them uh, opposed him and was a Democrat, probably still is, um, that he did good work, especially with Jared Kushner, who was very smart and capable. Now, does that sound like a prediction that uh, somebody made like me? I told you the longer that Trump is out of office, the better he will look. The reason for that is simple. Two reasons. Number one, you would have something to contrast his work with, which is Biden. A you know semi-controlled border versus an uncontrolled border. No new wars versus two new wars. All right, and I could go on, but you have contrast. Uh, no inflation versus lots of inflation. Although the inflation has a lot to do with the pandemic, and and both sides are losers when it comes to that. But you got you've got your contrast. But the other effect is that the brainwashing wears off. Brainwashing wears off. And if you're not fed a continuous stream of new brainwashing, it just sort of fades and is replaced with your own observation over time. So that was the basis of my uh, prediction, is that people were in a, a really heavy persuasion bubble, and that once he was out of office, the bubble would weaken, and you would just be able to see through to the other side. And that's exactly what's happening. All right. Well, it's another tragic day of not having a Speaker of the House. And once again, it comes down to me to list all of the problems that has caused. I'm just going to start at the top and go down alphabetical order. Having no Speaker of the House for, what, uh, days now, and these are the list of problems that uh, we've encountered, starting with A. Um, all right, next story. Let's talk about that uh, ground offensive over in uh, Gaza. So I guess Israel is dropping uh, pamphlets uh, telling the people in the northern part of Gaza to evacuate. I think they're saying evacuate to the south. I guess I don't know my situation enough to know what's happening on the ground there, but wouldn't they be 
evacuating into rubble? Did Israel already flatten the south? And and now they're asking the remaining part to evacuate to the rubble? Or or am I oversimplifying? Maybe there's something still... I mean, where would you go? If you don't leave Gaza, where do you go that you don't just starve to death? So I don't know exactly what's going on there. But uh, let's talk about whether it's a uh, ground offensive or a siege. You know, they called it a siege, Israel did. And I told you that meant that they don't plan to go in in a standard, old-fashioned way where you go door-to-door while the other people are shooting at you. I never thought they would do that. Now, there's a few reasons why they don't need to. One is that uh, Hamas is underground. If Hamas is mostly underground, they can just flatten what's above ground and don't have to worry about somebody shooting at them from a building because the building won't be there. And my my thoughts were they were just going to flatten a wide enough perimeter so that there's nothing on the left or the right of them. You know, they're they basically just a big old flat, nothing left battlefield. So that's my first thought is they're certainly going to have, you know, troops on the ground. There's no doubt about that. But I don't think it's going to happen until there's not much left of the ground. Would you call that a siege or a invasion? I mean, it's, what kind of invasion is it if there's nothing left by the time they're on the ground? Now, the other fact that I don't know how to wait is how much robotics they have. Apparently, they have these uh, giant um, bulldozers from hell that they can control remotely. So the bulldozers are so big, you can shoot at them, and it'll take an RPG and bounces off and and shit. Uh, It can actually dig up uh, landmines, and they explode in front of the blade, and the blade is just so damn thick, it just keeps going. So certainly they'll be sending their remote-controlled bulldozers in. But why, why would Israel send in anybody to get a shot at until they just completely cleared it out with technology and bulldozers and bombs? So I've got a feeling that, that because Israel is... Well, let me state this as an assumption. So this is not a fact, it's an assumption. My assumption is the only way to handle Hamas is to depopulate it. So I think they're depopulating it in every way that they can. I mean, as much as they can, because Hamas will try to keep them there. But I think they have to depopulate it so that they have any hope of later repopulating it. In other words, you're going to have to just reboot. Just literally get every every shoe off the ground and out of the area. Keep them safe if you can. I mean, ideally, you want to keep them alive, the non-combatants. And figure out how to move them back and when. So I think that's what it's going to look like. Um, I'm not entirely sure that Israel wants to clear out all the tunnels. Do you think that they want to uh, go down and kill those people in the tunnels, which would include hostages? Or do you think they just want to leave them all there because it might be better if nobody ever found the hostages, meaning there's no way to get them back alive anyway. 
Now, if you tried to cover if you tried to cover the entrances and exits to the tunnels, your problem is what's your problem then? We'll check your military strategy. If you cover the exits and the entrance, uh, and even tried to cover the air holes, what would be Hamas's response? Well, no, the hostages, unfortunately, I think are dead under all scenarios. I hate to say, but if they're underground, I don't, I can't, I can't see the scenario where they come back. Well, actually, no, I'm wrong. What if they, what if they pumped uh, sleeping gas down there? If they could find the air, if they could find the air intake, they could pump uh, just sleeping gas of some sort, right? Actually, that might be a way to get those. Options. So there might actually be a way to go. But here's the question I have. Could they, could they rebuild Gaza over the bodies of 20,000 Hamas fighters who are literally underground, you know, and just there forever? What would that do to the hearts and minds of the Gazans if they knew that people that maybe they supported, at least mentally, <clears throat> maybe they were non-combatants, but they know these are their you know, cousins and brothers and fathers, and they're just buried below where you build up a new house? Are they going to go for that? I don't know. So there's a real psychological question about whether you have to clear the tunnel, the bodies out, or whether you just you know, drop a mother of bombs and just collapse them and leave them there. Because I feel as though I feel as though there would be something in the psychological, you know, moral superiority way that would be lost by leaving them there. Because you'd also be leaving the Israeli um, bodies there. So I feel like they have to get them one way or the other. I feel like they have to get the bodies out of there. They probably would try. Now, the big uh, question that I think is the biggest variable here is will the uh, the war in Gaza be so brutal on the uh, civilians that it backfires against Israel? And I think the answer to that is 100% dependent on the number of casualties. Would you agree? If somehow they went into Gaza and, you know, 25 civilians died, we would consider that a tragedy because they didn't need to die. But we would also say, because I hate to say it, you know, you can't mourn forever. We would also get over it pretty quickly because we'd say, well, you know, over a thousand Israelis, 25, you know, innocent people, you know, they did what they had to do. But what if it's, 5,000. What if 5,000 civilians die in Gaza? Well, then I think people will say, all right, well, we didn't want them to die, but Hamas is responsible, and we'll probably get over it. But what if it's 20,000 civilians? What's the point where you don't get over it anymore? What's the point where it reverses the psychology of the entire situation until the world says, you know, you could have done anything but that. That was too far. Remember, you got about 2 million uh, residents. They say 2.3 million. Um, I imagine some number have already left. I don't know where they went, but 
you, you assume in that situation some number just ran for it. But probably, let's say there's at least 2 million and half of them are kids. How many, how many of those could die in the act of war before Israel turns out to be worse than if they had done nothing? I don't know what that number is, but I did a little poll and asked people. About 24% thought that the, the ultimate number could be over 100,000. That's not the number that changes the psychology. That's the number that people just predicted. What was the last time that many people died? I mean, way more people have died in Ukraine, but probably not as, I don't know if they've died a percentage more. But, so that's the, that's the question. So the question to roll around in your mind is what's that number that once you cross it, you're worse off than if you hadn't had the war at all? Yeah, when, when do you reach you know, Dresden proportions, exactly? If you don't know Dresden, firebomb during World War II, essentially erased. The entire place was just erased. All right. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. One of the factors is how much we learn, because I don't know that we will ever get accurate numbers of the civilian dead. Do you? Because the people in charge of those accurate numbers will be the attackers. I believe only the attackers will have any official numbers that are believable, because the uh, Gaza residents themselves have no infrastructure. If you have no infrastructure, you have no way to check, you know, against records or or anything. If you have no infrastructure, there's no way you'll know how many died. But Israel, almost assuredly, because all of their institutions will will remain, will do something like a count or an estimate of the dead. Would you believe the attacker's estimate of the civilian deaths on the other side? in any war, right? Now, this is not a statement against Israel per se. I just don't think it's credible to believe the attacker about how many civilians died on the other side. That's not, that's not something anybody should ever believe, ever, which is not to say that Israel would fake that number. I'm not saying they would. I'm saying, why would anybody believe a number coming from the attacker? Right, the winners, the winners get to write history. Yeah, we can't even get a number for Hawaii that we believe exactly. So it's not no insult to Israel to say that you just don't believe the attacker. <laughs> That's you know, and and you could argue with me whether they are the attacker because they're really defending themselves. I get that point. All right. Um. I saw Kanakoa the Great doing some posting on X about the attitudes and sympathies of Americans toward uh, the Israel-Palestinian situation. And here's something I didn't know. Maybe this will surprise you. That Democrats' sympathy with Palestinians stands at 49%, overshadowing their support for Israel at 38%. Did you know that Democrats, by a strong majority, favor the Palestinians over the Israelis? I didn't know that. 
I, I think I only was thinking in terms of, you know, the entire American public. So the entire American public favors Israel over the Palestinians. Um, but can, can I, uh, let me clean up my speech there. I believe the average American has sympathy for both sides. See, that's the part where I could get taken out of context, right? See how hard this is? It's so hard to not put yourself in a trap where somebody can take you in a contract, contrast and a context and say, these are your exact words. Here's you quoted saying the exact thing and a context. All right, so Republicans' uh, sympathy with Israel, or the Israelis, stands at 78%, overshadowing the support for Palestine at 11%. So Republicans overwhelmingly support the Jews. Um, Democrats, by a pretty strong majority, uh, do not support the Jews in Israel. Hmm. Independents uh, are pro-Israel, 49 to 32% for the Palestinians. Now, are you as confused as I am about what this is going to do to American politics? Let's see if I have any chance at all of not getting canceled. I'm going to be really careful on this one. You ready? Watch me. You like I'm crossing the stream, like jumping from rock to rock. I won't know if the rock I jump on next, like, is stable. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can get to the other side. Have you noticed that many racists on uh, the X platform will point out the number of uh, news media entities that are owned by people that the racist, anti-Semitic people call uh, Jewish owners and CEOs? You've probably seen that meme or claim a billion times. Yeah, they. They, the it's the Jews, own all of our communication. Now, what will those people say? What will the anti-Semites in America say? And, and what will happen? As, uh, you know, these events are playing through. Because I'm trying to understand how the platforms which the American anti-Semites say, are all run by the Jews, how are they not going to take the side of the Palestinians? Because that's what Democrats take. And in America, 7 out of 10 Jews are Democrats. Do do you see how confusing this is getting? It's like everybody's point of view doesn't make sense suddenly. Like the anti-Semites are saying, oh, the Jews control the media, so therefore the media, the Democrat media, is going to be all, all pro-Israel. But in fact, the people who consume this very media that the anti-Semites say is dominated by Jews, those people are being somehow immune to the media, their own media, and coming to opinions that are opposite of the alleged owners of the you know, primary owners of the media. Nobody's opinion is making sense, right? Am I making my case? I, I feel like I need a little more here. But let, let me put it in more stark uh, terms. How in the world could Democrats win another major election? 
did Democrats not just lose the entire media structure? So, and then how, how in the world do colleges continue to teach something that the so-called, according to the anti-Semites in the United States, uh, the, the messaging is all controlled by one group, and yet the colleges are breeding people with the opposite point of view? It kind of calls into question all of your biases, doesn't it? Your your entire worldview is now like, wait a minute. Wait, the Jews are mostly Democrats, but the Democrats are opposed to the at least the Israeli Jews. Nothing makes sense, does it? You get what I'm talking about, right? I'm not sure if I'm coming through yet because I'm looking at your comments and they're all over the board here. Yeah. So under these conditions, could you not expect that the media, both the traditional right-leaning media, which is already there, and the left-leaning media will start to agree about, uh, let's say, a narrative about Israel and that it will be different from what the Democrat base believes? So does this separate the mainstream media from the Democrat base. Did those two just get separated? Because you know that the biggest risk in America has been that the media and the Democrat base were always on the same side. And now in perhaps one of the biggest questions of our times, they just, and it made it clear. I think it would be very clear to the, you know, the, uh, the media that they're in trouble and that uh, their own base has somehow been radicalized against their interests. So what what does that do? I mean, what I'd expect would be a massive shift of uh, American Jewish opinion toward Republican leadership. Although I I would, um, I will say that Biden has been you know, completely supportive of Israel. So he's got that going for him. Um, At least recently. I mean, Biden was a little bit more standoffish about the whole region until he had had to pay attention. Yeah, there's a video of uh, Biden with his little note card of what to do. Walk in room, make few comments, get up and leave. And apparently he held his, his note card backwards so that the people at the meeting and the cameras could see his notes about how not to be a, an idiot because he had notes on the other side as well. He wasn't supposed to hold it up and read it. <laughs> he was trolling. Uh, maybe he was. So I got big questions how this is going to change American politics, but I think it will. I think it will. You know, what will be real interesting is uh, I mentioned the All In podcast and how they... Uh, seem to have some agreement there. There's a consensus that Trump looks better you know, as time goes by. And I wonder if the mainstream media will start to adopt that. I mean, that's a lot. That, that would be a big, big swing. You say never? But remember, the context here is that the mainstream media may have broken ranks with the Democrat base. So they may not be on the same team anymore. And what does that what does that do? I don't know. All right. Um, 
So I guess there are a couple of Republicans. Representatives Tom Tiffany and Andy Ogles, Wisconsin and Tennessee, respectively. And they're introducing legislation that would ban the Biden administration from importing Palestinians to the United States to be resettled in American communities. And um, so this is a brand new thing. Breitbart is writing about it. And it's uh, called the Guaranteeing Aggressors Zero Admissions Act or the Gaza Act. Okay, they tr- they try too hard. They tr- so you see the problem, right? The problem is they have not made the distinction between Hamas and Palestinian residents. Now, I find that odious. And I would agree with, uh, I think Joel Pollack was pushing back on this. It's notable that he's also associated with Breitbart. So Breitbart is not one opinion, which is interesting to know. They're they're not of one opinion. And uh, points out that for Israel to do what it needs to do in Gaza, it would be quite good if the you know, non-combatants had a place to go and could be at least temporarily uh, taken care of. Now, I understand that, uh, I understand both opinions, all right? Those are two opinions that make sense to me. Neither of them are illogical. Uh, both of them are grounded in people's best understanding of what would be the moral way forward. So it's, it's more of a tactical, strategic question that it is a moral question, in my opinion. But um, I'm going to say we'd just be asking for trouble. You know, we're just asking for trouble. If there's one thing that uh, my cancellation might have taught you, it goes like this. We have to learn to separate opinions about people's you know, DNA or even their culture from what brainwashing they have been subjected to. Because the brainwashing has nothing to do with your, your race or anything else. It's not your religion. It's just some code that's in your head. And if you discriminate against people who have code in their head, you're not exactly a racist. It's about people whose idea is they want to kill you. You don't want to be around them. So uh, right now, I think I saw uh, it was a news thing that uh, Christopher Ruffo, is it Ruffo or Ruffo? I was, I'm sure I say his name wrong. But uh, he says that Harvard is, uh, <laughs> just listen to this. I mean, this is Christopher Ruffo's uh, phrasing. But just listen to all the words, because they're important. Uh, Harvard has paid a non-binary Latinx academic to, quote, decolonize Harvard, which he says is, quote, seller colonial genocidal and Eurocentric institution that must be, quote, abolished. And uh, Christopher points out that decolonization is the ideology of barbarism. Uh, both at home and abroad. Uh, I added to that, I said, uh, you should get the fuck away from anybody who uses the word colonizer in a serious way. I mean, I use it in a humorous way. But you should get the fuck away from anybody who thinks that word belongs in America 
as a description of our reality. That is a, I'm going to kill you later if I get a chance word. Don't make any mistake about it. That's a, a we're coming for you word. That is, we're going to fuck you up word. That's what it means. If you miss that, you're going to be dead. Right? Get the fuck away from anybody who uses that language. Isolate them. Don't sell them anything. Don't buy anything from them. Don't hire them. They are coming for you. They're fucking coming for you. Defund them if you can. Yeah. Don't go to Harvard is my first advice. So, can we understand this as a problem with how people are thinking, whether it's ESG or DEI or CRT? These are all part of the colonizer vocabulary. And all of them have that oppressor-oppressed model. And if they're labeling you the oppressor or the colonizer, get the fuck away. These are dangerous people, and you should try to put as much distance between yourself and them as you can. Uh, So the comment is, so you promote taking away their freedom of speech? No, 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 no. What, What did you hear about freedom of speech? That wasn't me. (laughs) I'm saying if somebody uh, announces that they're going to kill you, you should get away in every way that you can. But we don't, uh, just to clarify, we don't have freedom of speech in 2023. Not really. We we have the old-fashioned-y kind of uh, illusion of freedom of speech where the government itself may not directly put you in jail but they can use their entities to, you know, freeze you out. And they can also use to make sure you never work. So effectively, we don't have free speech. And I'm fucking angry about people who say we do, because we don't. Anybody who thinks they have free speech has never said anything interesting. You can quote me on that. Everybody who still believes they have free speech in 2023 in America has never said anything interesting. That's why they think they have free speech. Try to be interesting for about five minutes. See see if you still think you have free speech. Try it out. See how it goes. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So I'm in favor of uh, banning uh, all immigration from places that could have with them a mind virus. Uh, just as we tried to close travel from China when the COVID virus was here, was that because we hated Chinese people? Anybody? Anybody? Did we close travel from China during COVID because of our hatred for Chinese people? No. No. It wasn't about anybody's genes. It wasn't about anybody's culture. It was about they had a virus in them, maybe, but we couldn't tell which ones had it and which one didn't. With the Palestinians, there is a mind virus, and we absolutely do not want any children who are raised in that environment. Not because of their genes, not because of their culture overall, but because, in all likelihood, Hamas was their teacher. Do you think I want even one child who was taught by Hamas to grow up in the United States? Nope. I do not want one. Not even one. One is too many. 
is it a gigantic tragedy that there's not an easy place to put the people who will be displaced? Yes. It's a gigantic tragedy. I would never minimize that. However, it is worth noting that none of their Arab uh, neighbors want anything to do with them. Do you think it's because they don't like their genes? Is it because their Arab neighbors don't like their ethnicity? Is it because they don't like Arab culture? No, because they are all of those things. Their neighbors are just like them. The difference is the Palestinians have a mind virus. And so the Egyptians are saying, it's not personal. You're infected with COVID. So we're going to quarantine you. And, of course, the, there's immense um, suffering and cruelty that comes out of that point of view. It's also a tough choice that you know adults have to make. So, uh, in my opinion, Egypt is making the adult correct choice, not treating them like there's anything wrong with them as people. They just have a mental virus, and they don't know any way to get rid of it. I remind you that I'm going to try to deprogram a Democrat uh, on Monday on Spaces. So I got a volunteer, somebody who's a a MAGA-hating Democrat, and I want to see if I can deprogram him. I want to be very clear about this. It's not going to be a debate. So I'm not going to tell him his views are wrong. I'm going to deprogram him. It's a different process. All right. Um, when it comes to this whole situation in Gaza, uh, we all have many opinions, do we not? Opinions, opinions, they should do this, they should that. Um, you may have noticed that I, do, I try not to talk in the language of opinion. And here's why. Opinions don't matter to what's going to happen in Gaza. The Gaza situation is only going to go one way, right? I mean, you could argue about you don't know the exact details of how Israel will eliminate Hamas. But when we're done, the Hamas fighters will be neutralized. Nothing's going to stop that. You could complain all you want. You could say they shouldn't do it. But what's the point of that? You could argue against, it should never rain again. But it's going to. What did your opinion have to do with the rain? Oh, uh, there should not be gravity. But there is. That's not really a conversation. So when we're talking about, you know, what should Israel do, that's not a real conversation. There's only going to want be one thing that happens. As soon as Hamas did the attack the way they did, the rest was just written. So, so saying, I don't like it, or, or saying, you, you shouldn't go in and attack you know, on the ground, well, what's the difference? They're not going to listen to me. Do you think they should? <laughs> do, you, do you think anybody should listen to me? No. So let me teach you a little uh, persuasion trick. May I? If you're giving opinions to Israel, Israel quite rightly should say, fuck off. Because if the situation were reversed and you were Israel and you'd been attacked, you would not be taking the opinions of the French. Am I right? 
Can we agree on that? If you're if you were in the country that just took the blow that Israel just took, you're not listening to the French's opinion. Oh, we oui, we oui, you think we should not uh, counterattack? Fuck you. You're not part of the conversation. All right. So we should be cognizant of the fact that even though America and Israel has a tight relationship, we're not really part of this conversation. But here's a persuasion tip for you. But I'll tell you one thing that they would appreciate, because everybody does. A better idea. Opinions are worthless if you're not in Israel making decisions. But maybe a suggestion. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a suggestion. If it's one that they had not considered, then that's additive. It doesn't mean that they would use anything I suggest. But it would have this one minor benefit. It would open your imagination to more than the options that we see now. Because the options that I see are that you could never put the Palestinians back into Gaza. The situation will just be recreated. Because you've got a million children who have already been radicalized. right? Just put them back, it just regrows into Hamas too. So you can't have that, because Hamas too would have better weapons. Because, you know, technology moves forward. And you can't leave it empty, because then it's genocide. Um, So what do you do? So here's where I'm going to add a suggestion for what to do. You know, once once Hamas has been neutralized uh, in 2023, how do do you build a a better place? Here's my suggestion. Since you can never have the um, Palestinians in charge of Gaza again, I think there's no way that'll ever happen again. But you also can't have Israel in charge. Because then it's, you know, that's a bad look. And it's bad in a lot of ways. But here's what you might be able to do. Um, You might be able to uh, get Saudi Arabia to take custodial control of Gaza. Not own it. And be under a security umbrella that is purely Israel. So the, you know, the police and the military and the borders, all Israel. The intelligence, all Israel. But you would ask Saudi Arabia to be the adult in the room. Do you think Saudi Arabia would like to be framed as the peacemaking adult in the room? I'm going to say yes. Because I think MBS, the crown prince, who you know we don't forgive him for his bone sawing, but at the same time, he clearly is a um, progressive, not in the way we use it here, but... He's certainly willing to look at things and change them in a different way than what has gone before. He's a deal maker. He seems to be able to work with Netanyahu. And he was interested in some kind of an accord with Israel that is now on hold because of this situation. But given that we know Saudi Arabia and Israel had an interest in reaching an accord in the first place, I'm sure they still do. They wish that this had not happened. And given that the Hamas was trying to probably stop that accord from going through the the number one thing you'd want to do is not let them win which is to stop progress so here's what you do you say um we can't go forward under our current conditions but let us add a sweetener to the deal and the sweetener is 
Saudi, we would love you to be sort of the the stewards in much the way you are the stewards of the Holy Lands, right? Saudi Arabia already has the uh, the respect of the rest of the uh, Muslim world because they control the Holy Lands. And I think you'd agree they do a good job of it, right? Because there's massive, you know, uh, annual migrations to see the Holy Lands. And it largely works, right? So I think they have this unique role in the Islamic world as sort of the being above it all, you know, being a little bit above the politics of it, controlling the religious faith. And I think they could do that in uh, Gaza. I think they could be a credible custodian as long as they're not in charge of the security because Israel's going to never let go of that, I assume. Now, I would add to that um, that they should have an, a, an idea of what a rebuilt Gaza looks like. And if you imagine that they came up with a stable situation with a Saudi custodial control, that's the key word, custodial, you know, so it's not ownership, it's just responsibility, basically. Um, do you think that would attract investment? I think so. I think you could attract investment if you had a stable situation that um, prevented Hamas from taking power. Um, do you think that it would be time, especially with the Saudis having an interest in nuclear energy and Israel having capabilities, don't you think it's time to put a, a nuclear power plant in Gaza so they can desalinate so that the you know their water is not controlled by somebody else? But, well, in fact, Israel would still have control. But um, it would also give them electricity and it would give that to them at a reasonable price. Now, you might say to yourself, but Scott, nobody wants a nuclear power plant in their backyard. Well, I think the Gaza residents have seen more risk than a nuclear power plant, the type of which has never had a meltdown, you know, the modern versions. I think they would take that risk. I mean, I don't think that they're, you know, scientifically morons, but I think they would take that risk. So imagine, if you will, uh, a new Gaza built with green tech um, turned into basically Switzerland for that area. Switzerland for that area. And maybe they're the place that other uh, Islamic uh, people who are escaping from, let's say, whatever badness is in their own area, maybe it's a place that refugees go. Because, you know, of course you'd have to vet them pretty carefully. But uh, that's my suggestion. My suggestion is to have a... uh, to create an image of what the end state looks like. Create a positive image of what the end state looks like. If you can get people to debate the end state, then you've made them think past the carnage. And carnage is guaranteed. But you could rebuild Gaza as a, you know, a resort destination, high standard of living, you know, model of how to recreate things not too far from actually uh, Trump's idea of building a greenfield city from scratch in the United States on government land. 
I'm all about that. Because I think one of the biggest the biggest things in the future is that if you start from scratch using modern technology and green technology, you could build something like we've never built before. Yeah, a city. You could design it from scratch and it would be the best living conditions in the world. Now, if this were America, you'd already be yelling, 15-minute cities, don't let the WEF turn me into a globalist slave. Well, I don't think you I don't think they're worried about that in Gaza. <laughs> Probably not thinking about that too much. So maybe they just like to have a really, really good city and get something at the end of this that wouldn't have been possible otherwise. All right. And again, it's not it's not that I think that that's the specific good idea. Just just to summarize, it's about making people think creatively. It's about getting the brainstorming going. It's about understanding that design is destiny. You can design something that would last. The way Gaza was designed, it was guaranteed to get to this point. Very predictable. Uh, let's just leave this radicalized group here to do what they want and talk about how they want to kill us until they have the capabilities to actually make an attack. How is it not going to happen? Right? How is it not going to happen? Of course it was. So design something that doesn't have that guaranteed outcome. Then maybe you have something. All right. Um, I'm going to come back to this story about, uh, you saw that Vivek Ramaswamy was on Hannity, and they disagreed about something that uh, was Vivek's past opinion. Now, I care so little about what the actual topic was because it's not relevant to my point that I'm just going to ignore it because it doesn't matter to anything. But I'm just going to give you this tip. Hannity kept saying to Vivek, who was arguing that uh, he was being misinterpreted, uh, Hannity kept saying, those are your exact words. Those are your exact words. That's verbatim. This is you verbatim. Those are exact words. Now, if I could teach you anything about fake news, when you hear anybody, left or right, saying, those were your exact words, they are the liar. Because they're not saying those are all of the words you've said about this. Had they said, these are all the words you've ever said about this, what are we supposed to think? Then I would think that's an argument. Now, that's an argument. These are all the words you've ever said on this topic, and when I look at them, they give me a certain impression. So how do you explain that? That would be hard to rebut. But if you say these specific words are your exact words, that is the strongest tell that the person saying that is just trying to trap you, and they know that they're doing it. So Hannity, I'm really disappointed in you because I have very high opinion of his skills, his skill sack is incredible. Skill, I said sack. Uh, stack is incredible. Yeah, he's one of the most talented people on TV. All right. And that, ladies and gentlemen, brings us to a strong, strong finish to what I think is the greatest live stream you're going to see all morning today. Because probably it's the only one you're going to see. And I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with that opinion. All right.
um, possibly the best live stream ever. That's true. This would all stop if Scott stopped watching and keeping cable news alive. Is it me? I'm the one keeping cable news alive by all of my watching. <laughs> my 10 minutes of watching yesterday. All right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Oh, it looks like I'm getting good comments over here on YouTube and Twitter. Thank you for that. Um, YouTube is getting more and more questionable in terms of how it's treating me. So they've been doing some demonetizing but uh, of my videos lately for reasons that they don't state. So it's always unstated. Now, the things I'm talking about, I'm pretty sure similar to what everybody's talking about. I don't think I've departed. Have I departed from, I haven't violated any terms of service ever, not ever. And I've never even had a warning. Do you know that? That's worth mentioning. I've never had a warning on any social media platform because I'm really careful and, and I actually, uh, I appreciate the terms of service. I'm glad there are terms of service, and I am happy to stay within them. You know, deal to deal. If that's the deal that I signed up for, yeah, I'm happy to stay within the lines. That's, I, I, it's not an accident that I've never had, uh, you know, any, any kind of official warning or anything. Um, however... I don't know if I'm being shadow banned or throttled in some way because I can imagine the advertisers do not love um, content about the war, even though 100% of the news is content about the war. So, but maybe, maybe YouTube has more options. You know, they don't have to sell advertising on war content. But it could be also that there's some part of my message that somebody doesn't like being out. I don't know which part in particular. It, it does seem that no matter how many subscribers I have on YouTube, my my revenue, you know, the part that's monetized based on advertising, has stayed almost the same <laughs> no matter what the subscriber number is. So, I don't know. It looks like I'm being slowly forced down. That's That's the impression I get. I can't confirm that. But the impression I get is that I'm slowly being, you know, pushed out. Now, I would go immediately to um, another platform. Um, well, I probably will as soon as I can get the tech working the way I want. So I'll probably, at some point, move to Rumble um, and off of YouTube, at least for the live streams. But we're not there yet. There's a little more tech work, I think, that needs to be done to make that a smooth transition. All right. Uh, who's watching our southern border? Well, we seem to have surrendered the southern border. Yeah. Yeah, I'm... I'm... <laughs> uh, Kiss confirming you as both an Israel hater and a Palestinian. All right. Uh, that's all for now, ladies and gentlemen, over on X and YouTube. I'm going to say goodbye to you, and I will see you back tomorrow. Bye for now. <laughs>